Have you ever noticed that in life, you think all is going like really well, and then all of a sudden a moment happens, and like it all changes. Things aren't so well after that moment. It's a bright, sunny day. Things are going... I, I had this experience in Chicago uh, weeks back. I was going for a meeting in downtown Chicago. I was... Uh, it was a sunny day. It was a bright morning around midday. I'm on a six-lane road, uh, traffic going everywhere, and I, things are great. I'm listening to that voice on my GPS, on my iPad, and uh, I, like... I don't know where I'm going, but I just trust the voice. And the iPad's sitting on the dash of my car... And I'm not noticing that I'm driving in. I don't even know the address of the place I'm going because I trust the iPad. And uh, the sun is beating on my iPad on the dash. And right downtown, my iPad dies. Because if an iPad overheats, it shuts off. So now I pull to to the side of the road as fast as I can, six lanes. And I turn my air conditioner up as fast as I can. And like I'm putting my iPad there, trying to cool it off so I can know and get beat in the meeting on time. You see, one moment, everything's great. And the next moment, I'm like, my heart's beating, I'm frustrated, I'm full of angst. And I'm like, why did this go wrong? I had another time. I was uh, with my family on first day of vacation in the Ozarks. This is when my kids were in junior high. And uh, we're... Uh, having a great extended family vacation down there. We have a speedboat. I'm out with seven kids on the lake. One adult, seven kids, first mistake. Uh, And we're pulling my son Joel and his cousin on what's called a torpedo. And I don't know if you know what a torpedo is behind the boat, but a long, big torpedo. And, um, uh, you know, probably I was pulling too fast. Probably the uh, lake was too rough. Probably there were too many boats out there. But we're pulling along, and of course my son in the back is going, faster, faster, it's a beautiful day, everything's going great. And I look back, and awake from another big boat comes, and now my son is like up in the, Joel is up in the air, and his cousin, with the torpedo off the water. And when they come down, let me tell you something about torpedoes. They're really nice, except some idiot engineer put like hard plastic uh, rope holders on the side of them. And when the two boys came down, they each face-planted on one of those plastic um, rope holders. And uh, when you face-plant on a rope holder like that, uh, it's nothing that 15 or 20 stitches won't fix. But uh, we look back, and there's blood everywhere. Now I've got five kids in the speedboat. What was a nice, calm morning, I whipped the boat back, and the first thing the kids are going, You're all bloody! Shut up, shut up. Don't tell them. I get him in the boat and I say, you have a scratch. Put a towel on your head. So they've got towels on. We're headed back to the beach where all the adults are who trusted me with their children. And um, my oldest son, Jerry, goes, they're all bloody. (laughs) Shut up. We go to the doctor at the ER. And he spends his first 10 minutes not fixing my son, yelling at me for having the kids on a torpedo like that. And um, one moment, everything's nice. And the next moment, it's like falling apart. Now, we're in this series called um, Jesus Said. And I, I tell you the stories because Jesus' disciples had times just like that, where everything was going great, 
And then all of a sudden something happened. And we're going to look at one of those times this morning. It's in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And so we're going to look at this. We have it on the screen. It's also obviously in your Bibles in the seats. We're going to read it verse by verse. We're going to take a look at what we can learn from what Jesus said in these scriptures. Because this was one of those times when everything was going well until, until. The day, when, uh, the day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. There's his first words. Let's go over to the other side of the lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Now, that sentence kills me. I mean, how else are you going to take him? Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Well, let's take an airplane today. No, they only had a boat and they had to take him just as he was. Now, that's kind of interesting. I, I always enjoy the Bible for these reasons of, of, uh, of these phrases in there. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. See, again, here's a time. All was well until the storm came. And now the waves are coming in the boat, the water's filling up the boat, the squalls are like in the boat. So it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teachers, don't you care if we drown? I can just picture Peter. We're dying here. What are you doing sleeping? Help us. Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet. Be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. I don't know if you've ever been on a big lake during a storm. Normally it takes a lake a long time to calm down after a storm. You know the water, those of you who are scientists, the water's going, there's momentum, all that stuff. It takes a long time. And says it was completely calm. Jesus said to his disciples, This is the phrase I want us to think about today. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Simple story. All is well. Things are going well until the storm comes. And then they lose their courage. They shake him and go, We're going to die. In the Living Bible, it says it like this. I think we have a slide. Jesus said to them, Why were you so fearful? Don't you even yet have confidence in me? And they were filled with awe and said among themselves, Who is this man that even the wind and the seas obey him? Another paraphrase of the Bible says it this way. And Jesus asked them, How long must you be with me before you trust me? How, how long must you be with me before you trust me? Now let's take a look at what the disciples had experienced with Jesus up to this point in Mark. I made a list of some of the things they had already done. He had already called them to be his followers by the sea. Uh, Jesus had been baptized and they were there. And his father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the spirit came and landed on him in the form of a dove. That happened. He was tempted by Satan in the desert and he came through it unscathed. He healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. He healed a man with leprosy. He healed the centurion's paralytic servant. 
He um, healed all of those who came to him in one town. Every person who came got healed in one town. He evangelized the tax collector, Matthew. Huge crowds followed him. He did a lot of teaching, and he fed 5,000 people with a couple loaves and some fish. So the disciples have been watching him for about a year. And they've been going, wow, wow, wow. Then they're simply on the lake, a storm comes up, and they lose their faith and their courage in who Jesus is. Maybe this is where you are this morning. I've been thinking a lot about this for quite a while. Uh, I've been thinking about this story for over a decade. And the question of, I, I can picture God asking me, Dave Bartlett, how long must you be with me before you actually trust me with your future, before you trust me with this week, before you trust me with this problem, before you trust me with your son in college, before you trust me with your job, before you trust me with your health, how long do you have to be with me? How many good deeds do you have to see in, your li- in my life? So here's the objective of the teaching, what I want to do this morning. It's this. It's a slide. Remind us that we can trust God fully in this life and the next. Just a reminder. That's why you come to church on Sunday morning, so that God's word can remind you of things. So we want to remind ourselves this morning that, um, God, uh, that we can trust God fully in this life and the next, and that the evidence for this can come from two places. It can come from God's word, and it can come from our own experiences with God. I want to just pause, because I'm actually going to challenge you this morning and this week to think about the times that God has showed up in your life, and he's been there with you. Whether they went the way you wanted them to go or not is not the point. Can you think of times, and I can think of 20 times that I've been in my life and uh, all was well until, and then God was there with me. And we need to think about this because what thinking about this will do is it will raise um, our faith and our courage in living life with Christ in the future. So uh, God's word is clear, John 14, 1 and 2. Jesus says, this is, this is what he says, John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house had many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going to prepare a place for you. There's there's Jesus' words, and he's saying, you can trust me with everlasting life. We've got a home in heaven designed for you. As a follower of mine, we've got eternal life covered. And then John 16, 33, Jesus says these words. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus again is saying, you can trust me. You can trust me in this life, and you can trust me in the next life. You can trust me. That's what his word says. His word is clear. We can trust him in this life and the next. But what about your history? What about your stories? What about how God has taken your hand and walked through your life? I wonder if Jesus is asking you this morning, how long must you be with me before you totally trust me? Romans 15 says this, may the God of hope fill you with what? All joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I first had this experience uh, in a big way, and I've told the story a hundred times to Orchard. I first had this experience in a big way when uh, all, all of a sudden, seven weeks early, our twins were being born, and the doctor who was a friend of mine came out of the delivery room, and I was in the lobby. And he said, Dave, probably your son will not live, your daughter will not live. Yeah, your daughter will not probably live, but your son might. And these were twins. And I remember I just got tough and I uh, loved my wife and I took our other two older children to their grandparents and then I sat in a bathroom with my uh, back against the door and I just wept like, not so much because my twins were going to die, but because I was going to have to tell my wife that her children had died. And then what's amazing is I was in full-time ministry then and I asked three questions that I thought I had already answered. I asked the question, God, are you even real? Do you love me? And do you have any power? And so here I was, helping teenagers in a high school come to Christ. But when the storm came, I was just like the disciples, sitting on the floor going, I'm dying here. Do you even exist? Do you even love me? And do you have the power to do anything? And those moments come. And I didn't know it at the time, but what was happening is my faith was being driven deeper, stronger, built up. It's like a muscle you have to use. So uh, as I was thinking about this this week, I got to thinking about how um, uh, years back as a church, we were trying to look for a discipleship model that would help us help people understand how people grow in Christ. And uh, uh, years back, several times we taught this. I think we have a, a slide on this, uh, and it's in your uh, program too, of this, uh, we call it a slinky. And it's a process that people go through to strengthen their faith and to build up their courage. And uh, when I first read this book called The Critical Journey, it was uh, by uh, Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick. I remember uh, we had a task force that read like 15 discipleship books, and uh, most of them we didn't fit real life close enough. And this one did. And so I want to say a few things about these, this process. It's like a slinky. You don't, go, you don't go step by step until the sixth process and you're done. It's like a slinky. You go through these processes over and over again. And so I don't know where you are this morning, but you're somewhere on this kind of flow chart. Because when I look at the Apostle Paul, he went through this. When I look at the Apostle Peter, he went through this. When I look at my life, I went through this. And so uh, let's look at this. The first step is a recognition of God. I call it like a fill-in-the-blank uh, fill in the blank phase of your life. You're trying to find answers. Uh, you come to faith. I don't know where you were when you first came to faith the very first time. Maybe you were at a camp. Maybe you were at a VBS. Maybe you were sitting with your mom and dad on a bed. I don't know where you were. I was in a bed kind of by myself. And I had just come out of a week at camp. And I was like trying to figure out these fill-in-the-blank answers. Is God real? And what does his son have to do with me? And why did Jesus have to die on a cross? It, and it's called the recognition of God's face. And then uh, after that phase, uh, you go to another phase, which is, man, I need to live a life as a disciple. And really it's called the, the, the shifting of my allegiance from living life for Dave to living life for God. And it's a shifting of allegiance. And so I began to do that. In my early days of college, understand that Dave isn't the center of the world. Jesus is the center of the world. And so you kind of do that. 
And then we begin the third phase, which is serving in your sweet spot. And we talk a lot about that around Orchard. We call it picking up your paddle. Everybody who's shifting their allegiance, so they're not the center of the world anymore, but Christ is the center. The, sec- the very next thing you want to do is, how do I serve Jesus? What can I do? Can I park cars? Can I hand out bulletins? Can I take the offering? Can I sing in a worship band? What can I do for Jesus? What can I do that he made me to do in my sweet spot? And then the fourth one, and it's the one that was an aha 10 years ago for me, is you hit the wall. You hit the storm. It's amazing how many people come into my office. And they basically sit at my table and they say, Dave, Dave, I think I've lost my faith. And I say, tell me more. Well, this really bad thing just happened, and I can't understand it, and I think I've lost my faith. And almost always I pull out this chart. I have it in the top drawer of my file. I pull out the chart and I set it on the table. No, I don't think you're losing your faith. I think you're hitting a wall. And that's actually a part of growing in your faith. It's like the disciples in the boat. They hit a wall. They said, Jesus, we're going to die here. Jesus solved the problem. Then he said, how long must you be with me before you trust me? Another thing that happens is when you hit the wall, you ask a set of questions you thought you already answered, which the disciples, it happened in Luke. They had already told Jesus who he was. Then he solves this problem, he calms the wind. What do they do? They ask him the question, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Well, they knew the answer, but they had to answer it deeper. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You get to a certain point, someone you love dies. A divorce happens. Uh, You have to file bankruptcy. You know, whatever it is. And you ask those questions that you've answered as a kid and you've answered as a teenager and you've answered as a young adult. I have a friend uh, who had to put his wife, uh, he's a strong Christian friend, not from this church, in town, had to put his wife in an Alzheimer's uh, ward. And he's had a tough life. He had to bury a son. Uh... He had a couple of his own limbs cut off. And then he had to put his wife in an Alzheimer. And he said to me, Dave, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do, period. You see, he had a new storm. And he answered the questions about Jesus as a kid and as a teenager and as a young adult. And he had to answer them again as a retired guy. Are you with me on this? Do you see this process, this slinky that you go through over and over again? And so when you hit a wall, it's not a time to despair. It's a time to understand. Wow. God is building character in me. God is building courage in me. God is building strength in me. And then something amazing happens in the fifth part. After you hit the wall and you get back up, it's called a journey outward. It's a service with a clearer motivation. Here's here's the difference. You pick up a paddle in three, in stage three, because like you were built to serve. You find joy in serving. You love the kids. You were made to take the offering. You love parking cars. I don't know who that is. Um, And then in step five, you understand it's not about the kids or the offering or the car. It's about Jesus. You're doing it in personal service to Jesus. You hope it's in your sweet spot, but you're serving a man. You're not um, doing big house on Wednesday nights because you love kids anymore, because some days you do and some days you don't. You do big house on Wednesday night because you love Jesus. 
And it's such a difference. And then the last one is a life of love. I call it Mother Teresa. You look crazy. And there are people like this who have been through the slinky and they're like making sacrificial um, living and life and like people around them go, wow, you're nuts. But they're filled with joy, loving Christ. Okay, so that's the first time through the slinky. Then you go again and again and again. In the boat that day, Jesus' disciples were at the hitting the wall part. And again, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know uh, where you are. But you're somewhere in this process. I took the Apostle Paul through this, right? Let's just, do, just to show you that it actually works. The Apostle Paul, he's got his answers about faith filled in. He's a, he's a religious Jew, right? He's, um, he's got his answers. He knows who Yahweh is. He knows how to serve God as a Jew. He's got his answers. And then the second thing is, um, his allegiance is to do what? To Yahweh, right? On his way to Damascus. And then he's serving in his sweet pot. He's actually going to the, uh, before he becomes a Christian, he's actually in faith in, in, in God. And he's actually, uh, uh, his productive life is to go arrest Christians. And then Paul hits a wall, doesn't he? On the road to Damascus. Jesus actually appears to him, knocks him to the ground. Says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? But he hits his first wall. And Paul says, Lord, who is it? And he says, you're going to be blind, Paul, and you go into a city and wait and hear from me. And then he finds out who Jesus is. And then he's got a whole new set of blanks to fill in. Whoa, Jesus is the Messiah. He's back at stage one on the slinky. And I need to be change my allegiance from living for Paul and living for religion to living for Jesus. And then he's got a whole new sweet spot, which is like encouraging the Christians. Then he hits another wall. Remember, he's in prison. And he says, I've learned whether I have a lot or a little. I'll be happy in God. See, the Apostle Paul went through the same thing that you and I go through, this process. I've talked about this before. We, we send uh, people on mission trips, uh, lots of people, on lots of mission trips to our five communities, right? And one of the advantages to sending them there is that the veil between life and the spiritual life is thinner sometimes on the mission field. It's like uh, we had a witch doctor in Haiti who uh, came to Christ. And the witch doctor knew that he had to burn all his stuff, including his house, because that's just what he needed for a fresh start. So he burned his house, he burned his stuff. And our team was watching and going, wow, this is spiritual. This is real spiritual stuff here. This is real spiritual growth. Someone will do this. And it is. But the same kinds of steps happen here. But we don't, we don't see it quite as clearly. Jeff was telling me about a college student who was in one of our services this week, this past year. And uh, he came in as a... Like, really, not a follower of Christ. And he, Christ was working on him and all that. And at some point, he uh, gave up smoking almost instantly. And he gave up his friends almost instantly. And he made changes that would help him follow Christ. And that's just as real, just as spiritual, just as much of trusting Christ as a witch doctor in Haiti burning down his house and his stuff. And we have to see that and we have to understand that. 
I wonder if Jesus might be asking you the question this morning. How long must you be with me before you trust me? And two ways to build that trust. One is to look at God's word. And one is to allow the Holy Spirit the opportunity for you to think about and maybe even list this afternoon. While he was with us, that, uh, one of the places I got that, Lynn and I, uh, on our 40th wedding anniversary three years ago, our kids gave us one of these books you do on computer. And it said, 40 years of marriage, loving your family, uh, following God. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we sat down in an evening, and Lynn and I uh, thumbed through uh, the pictures and the stories of 40 years. And as we did it, it was so obvious that God was with us in this part, and this part, and this part. And when we closed the book, Oh my goodness, he's going to be with us tomorrow and next year and to the end of our life on earth. Um, Maybe it would be helpful to you to remember this afternoon. You know, in the Old Testament, lots of times they had to build a pile of rocks so that every time they would walk by the pile of rocks, they would say, now what's that pile of rocks about? And they would remember I pray. Uh, God, you have been faithful. Your character is to be faithful. Your promise is to be faithful. Not always to say yes to our prayers, but you have promised to walk with us as followers of Christ, to be with us continually. And Father, you've answered many of our prayers. Sometimes you've answered prayers that we should have prayed and we didn't, but your spirit interpreted them. We thank you. And Father, I would ask you to help us remember what you've done in our lives and what your promises are so that we could build courage in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.